So Johnny was going down the road, and uh, he's a young farm boy, and his wagon of hay tipped off into the, the ditch. And so he's there loading the hay, trying to you know, really quickly load the hay back onto his wagon, and the, the, the neighbor comes along, Farmer Joe, and he sees young Johnny, and he's throwing the, the bales back onto the wagon, and, it, and he, it's a hot day, and he says, Johnny, it's so hot out here, why don't you stop? Come sit on the back of the, the pickup truck and let's have a drink of water and then I'll help you load the wagon up. And Johnny says, well, I don't think my dad would like that. Okay, well, but, but he says, it's, I, you know, I, I, I know you want to get this all fixed up, but, but it's so hot. Come, come sit on the back. We'll have a drink of water and then I'll give you a hand. And the boy says, you know, I, I really don't think my dad would like that. And so Farmer Joe finally insists, he says, listen, it is just way too hot. You need to have a drink of water. Then I'll help you. So finally, reluctantly, you know, uh, Johnny goes back and and they're sitting on the tailgate drinking water and and a kid taking a break. And Farmer Joe says to Johnny, he says, well, so Johnny, you talked about your dad not wanting, you're not liking this, but like, where is your dad? He says, he's under the hay. (laughs) So, So, yeah, yeah. Priorities, priorities. We need to sometimes keep our priorities straight. And so, you know, we can get distracted from the most important things. And so today I want to be talking about the priority of prayer. You know, I think we intuitively know that prayer is supposed to be a priority for our lives. We, we, we have an intuition that that is an important thing. But I don't know if you're like me. Like, I, I do not at all consider myself a sort of a prayer warrior, but I, I'm, I'm still learning in the school of prayer. And I'm seeking day by day to try to make prayer more of a priority, not just only in my own personal life, but even in how I lead. And one of the, one of the priorities I have uh, as, as I'm taking over um, the leadership of the EFC is that prayer will become a priority for, for the churches here in Canada, that every church will become a house of prayer. And so we need to bend together to pray. So we know it's a priority, but perhaps one of the reasons we don't always understand why it's a priority. And so today we want to look at a passage that I think gives us a bit of a better picture about why prayer is a priority. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn your Bibles or your Bible apps now, uh, and you can turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I'm going to be reading from verses 1 to 7. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 7. This is the New International Version. And it is also on the the overhead here. So 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul writes under inspiration of the Spirit. He says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose... Um, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. 
Father, as we look into this passage that you've given to us from your word, we pray that your spirit would speak through, us, through, through this passage and speak directly to us and our hearts. Be with me too as a weak and broken vessel that you would use me, that my words would be faithful to you, that only the things that need to be heard would be heard and that all else would be forgotten. And so, Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our powerful Savior. Amen. Amen. So as we look at this passage, 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul starts out by saying, I urge you then, I urge you therefore. And so what is this urging about? Well, it kind of helps us to understand that whenever you see a then or a therefore in Scripture, it's kind of old hermeneutics thing. You look at why it's there, right? What it's there for, okay? And so in the earlier part of the the letter to, to young Pastor Timothy, Paul says, He's, he's warning Timothy that the people are going to be tempted to fall away from the faith. And so he's urging them to stand against false teaching and exhorting Timothy to make sure that he stands for the, the proper teaching. And then when he gets into verse, the last part of the chapter 1, he says, um, I'm, I'm giving you this command uh, that, that um, in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith, and a good conscience. And you're kind of left at the end of chapter 1 and wondering, like, how do you do that? <laughs> how actually do you that, do that? And then Paul jumps into chapter 2, right at the beginning of chapter 2, and he says, I urge you then, I urge you, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made to all. So it's very interesting here that Paul's response to how to hold on to a good conscience and fight the good faith is he urges people to pray. He urges us to pray. But what's, what's so significant here is in that little phrase, first of all. First of all. Now, if you were to keep reading in, in the passage in, into the remainder of the chapter, you'd probably think Paul's going to give us a list, right? So first, pray. Second, third. But if you keep going, you look that there's no second and third and fourth. It's only a first of all. Well, it's really interesting because the word here, the Greek word is protos, where we get the word like a word like prototype, right? And, and that word is, is not necessarily the same kind of word that would be used as a one, two, three list. In fact, the word actually means above all else. Above all else. And so when Paul says, I urge you then, first of all, he's not just saying, this is the first thing amongst many things that you do. He's saying, above everything else that you do, pray. Now, there's all kinds of things that we are called upon to do as followers of Jesus. We were, we're called upon to worship. We're called upon to teach, to baptize, to train up our children. We're called upon to work, to supply for our families, we're, we're called upon to share the gospel. There's all kinds of things. To run organizations, to take care of the needs of those who are, are in need of our help. Those are all wonderful and good things. And don't ever think that I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things. They're all vital to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But Paul here actually says, above all else, above all of those other things that you do, pray. Pray. 
And so prayer is not just kind of the preamble to the work. I'm trying to kind of get over this idea that, you know, okay, we're going to have a meeting, so let's pray, let's get things started, let's pray, and then we'll just get down to work. On the contrary, I think what Paul is saying is, prayer is the work. That is the first and most important work that we are called to do. It is the priority. It's first of all. But secondly, he says, okay, I want you to pray. I want you to give petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. And we really don't have time to unpack what each of those are. I think just basically petitions are asking God for things, asking God to do things. Prayers are, are kind of the things that we do every day. We pray for our family. We pray for, for our, our um, missionaries. We pray for our pastors. We pray for, you know, the, the things that, that are, are kind of recurring. Those are our daily prayers. Intercession is the type of prayer where it's perhaps a very special need, where someone needs healing or someone's in a crisis, and we take time, prayer and fasting, and we intercede on behalf of someone and also, thanksgiving, prayers of thanksgiving. It's very good for us to be full of gratitude to God. So, so Paul says, these are the kinds of prayers that um, you're, you're to make. But it's the last phrase that I really want to uh, key on on. He says, I want prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. For all people. And I think that this all people gives us an indication that Paul is saying that Christian prayer aims big. Christian prayer aims big. Pray for everyone. Now you think, oh, what, what, what does that actually mean? I remember quite a few years ago, my youngest daughter is, is 20 now. So this is probably about 15, 14 years ago where one night I was uh, in her room and praying with, uh, asking her to pray, trying to teach her to pray. And we were, you know, knelt at the bedside. And I said, okay, Sierra, it's, it's your time to pray. And she says, okay. Dear God, please be with everyone. Amen. <laughs> and, you know, we kind of chuckle at that and say, well, that's, you know, an innocent little child's prayer. But actually, actually... She's kind of got it, right? Now, maybe the details could be a little bit, you know, further. But basically, Paul is saying pray for everyone, which means that he has a perspective that when we are praying, we should not, it's not that we shouldn't be praying for the smaller things in our lives, the day-to-day things that we encounter. Of course, we should be praying for those things. But, but that we need to be praying for so much more than that, so much bigger than that. What are the clues that Paul has in mind, this sort of expansive concern of God? He's really revealing to us the heart of God, isn't he? What is this heart of God who who actually calls that we would be praying for everyone? Well, a few clues are in verses 4, 6, and 7. In verse 4, Paul says God wants all to be saved. We have to remember that. God desires that all should be saved and all should come to repentance. That is God's heart. And so we need to pray according to God's heart. He also says that Christ is the ransom for all. That is that when Christ came and did his work on the cross and in his resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God, this was a work 
that was sufficient for the entire history of humanity. It's for everyone. It's not just for a select few. And then in verse 3, Paul talks about him being uh, an, an, a herald and an apostle to the Gentiles. And that's pretty important when you consider that Paul himself considered himself a Jew of the Jews. Right? And so he understands that, that sometimes the Jewish people kind of got confused and they kind of thought that it was all about themselves. But if they remembered the history of God's dealing with the Jewish people, right from the start of the call of Abraham, he says, I will make you a blessing and through you all people shall be blessed. Right? And so it, it's not just for the Jews. It's, it's also for the Gentiles. And so there is this this big sense, uh, expansive concern of God that I think Paul is getting at here in these verses. Now, as importantly, as important as it is for us to, to pray for the things that are immediately around us, sometimes those prayers are too much too limited. There's an ancient saying that's going to come on the screen here. It's an ancient uh, uh, Christian saying that, that uh, the early Christian fathers often used. And it says, Lex Arande, Lex Credende. Any Latin experts here? Well, maybe a couple, eh? Um, Lex Arande, Lex Credende literally means the law of prayer is the law of belief. Now, think, think, put your thinking caps on for a second. The law of prayer is the law of belief. Now, if you think about it, you, you'd kind of think, it shouldn't it be the other way around? Shouldn't be our beliefs be the law that dictates our prayers? But that's not how the ancients thought about it. They actually thought about it the other way. They said that the law of prayer is the law of belief. Or in other words, tell me what you prayed for this week, and I can tell you what you really believe about God. Wow. Wow. And so when we think about how sometimes limited our prayers are, and I, I can testify, I prayed a little prayer this week. You know, I, had to, I was going to, to, see, to see someone this week, this past week, and it was a downtown area. You know how it is parking downtown, and I couldn't find a parking spot. And I was on the way, and I was already late, and I said, Lord, give me a parking spot. You know, they always say that's kind of the joke, right? <laughs> and guess what? I am not kidding you, right in front of the building. <laughs> but I didn't have a quarter. <laughs> I had to dig around for a quarter, uh, but, or for a loony to put in the meter. But, but as, as important as is, I think God does hear those prayers. When I think about my prayer life, how often, how so very limited it is. How it's usually kind of extends maybe to my family, maybe to my church, and, you know, that's just about it, right? And, and Paul here, I believe, is asking us to say that when you pray, pray for all. Pray for everyone. Some of you may have heard of J.B. Phillips. He was a, uh, I think he was a New Testament scholar who, who um, did a translation of, I think, just the New Testament. I'm not sure if it was the whole Bible. Uh, kind of in the mid-50s, 60s, uh, the Phillips version. And he had a book called, Your God is Too Small. Your God is Too Small. And in that book, I, I, I remember reading this book a number of years ago, where he made this point. He said, look at what you pray for. 
And if you look at what you pray for, that tells me the kind of God that you actually believe in. And it probably means that your God is too small. So Christian prayer aims big. Third, Paul says, what? I pray, urge that petitions, prayers, and intercessions be made for all people. And then he qualifies it and he says, for kings and for all those in authority. Well, that's a very interesting turn. First, we're praying for everyone, and then he, 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 he uh, kind of narrows it in to the kings and all of those uh, in authority. You know how they say you're never supposed to be discuss politics and religion in the same you know, polite, polite company? He does both. <laughs> he talks about religion and politics. And Paul, Paul here makes a tremendously significant statement about his view uh, of the political authorities and why we should pray for the political authorities. On the one hand... Paul, by saying, pray for the political authorities, is refusing to be what we would call an anarchist. There are people out there who would say, we don't believe that there are any real authorities. We're all our own authority. That's anarchy. Okay? And there's even some people who, some Christians, kind of Christian anarchists, who would say, well, we don't really believe in any authorities except the authority of God. Well, that's not really, that's not really true. <laughs> that doesn't really hold up against the, the lens of Scripture, because Scripture clearly shows that there's pastoral authorities, there's authorities within the church, there's elders and pastors, there's parents who have authority over their children, and Paul here says political authorities. So Paul's not an anarchist by saying, you know, we, should, we, we don't have to even worry about the political authorities. But neither is he a revolutionary. On the other hand, what's a revolutionary? A revolutionary is someone who says, well, we don't like that leader. Let's get rid of him or her and put in a new leader, right? If we can only get the right leader in place. But do you notice that Paul doesn't actually say anything about praying that we get the right authorities in place? He says, pray for kings and all those in authority. So that's interesting, right? When you consider and you look, at, look around the world, Maybe countries that you're originally from or countries that you're from now or from Canada. And you say, well, look at these world leaders. Couldn't we do better? Well, probably. But Paul doesn't make any mention. He doesn't make any kind of judgment on that. He simply says, pray for the kings and all those in authority. Now, if you think Paul's being naive, let me tell you something. Do you know who, who the emperor was when Paul wrote this letter? His name was Nero. Nero. And Nero was one of, you know, he was by no means a friend of the Christians. In fact, he blamed the Christians for the burning of Rome. And he persecuted the Christians. And Paul says, pray for the leaders and all those in authority. Why? Why should we pray for the authorities? Two reasons. One because by praying, by, by, by praying for the political authorities, we're putting them in their proper place. And we do, the, do it this way. First, when we pray for the political authorities, we are acknowledging God's sovereignty and supremacy over the political leaders. Think about it. Nero. Right? God. Right? When we pray for Nero... When we pray for the president, when we pray for the king, when we pray for the prime minister, yes, they may be up here, but we are praying to someone 
much, much higher than them. And when we pray for the political authorities, we are putting them in their proper place. We are not saying they're not an authority, but we are saying that they are authority under God, which is really what the Charter of Rights and Freedoms starts with, that we're a nation under God. So we put them in their proper place by acknowledging God's sovereignty. And secondly, by praying for them, the leaders, we refuse to see political authorities as hindering the means by which God shares his goodness with us. Let me explain to you what what I mean by that. Paul goes on in this passage and he says, there is but one mediator between God and humans, the man Jesus. But for some reason, we've sometimes gotten to the place where we think that the political authorities are the givers of all good things. Right? As if it's the political authorities that are going to solve all of our problems. Now, they have their place. But they are not going to solve our problems. Ultimately, only Jesus can solve our problems. There is only one mediator between the good God, the Father from whom all good gifts come, James says, and that is through His Son, Jesus. And so by praying for political authorities, we're putting them in their proper place. They're under God, and we refuse to see them as kind of the purveyor or the giver of all the good gifts that we need. They have their role, but it's only God. Thank you for the song this morning. Because God is good. Because God is good. And thank you, Oz. I don't know where Oz is. There he is. Thank you, Oz, for praying for our political authorities. And, and that's, that's a public confession, a public witness And I really do thank you, Oz. That was such an important prayer. And I assume you probably do that regularly here. But keep it up. Keep it up. Because a lot of places don't. A lot of places don't. don't. So um, this is really important because Paul goes on in verse 3 and says, this is good and pleases God our Savior. Do you want to know what's good? Do you want to know God's will for your life? We always ask that question, right? Well, here it's pretty clear. God's will for your life is that you would pray. And that you would pray for the authorities. This is good and pleases God, our Savior. Well, what should we pray for then? And we need to just close here by kind of asking really practically, what are the things that Paul is asking us to pray for? We find the answer in verse 2, the end of verse 2. He says, pray for all people, for kings and those in authority. And he says that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And then in verse 3, that all people would come to the knowledge of the Savior. First, peace and quietness. Thank you for praying, Oz, again, for, for the Ukraine, the situation in Ukraine. There are so many places outside of Ukraine, it's, it's top of mind right now, but there are so many places in the world that always face some kinds of conflict. But let us not take for granted that peace and quietness that we enjoy here in Canada can be quickly lost too. And so we need to pray that God, there would be peace in Jerusalem, that there would be peace in the Ukraine, that there would be peace in Iran, that there would be peace in Nigeria, 
where so many Christians, 14 Christians a day, die in Nigeria for their faith. 14 Christians a day. Pray for the peace in that population. So we need to pray, God, have your hand of mercy on these places that are so filled with, with conflict. Contrary to popular belief, the church doesn't always grow when there's persecution. Sometimes it does, but not always. There are, there are instances in church history where the church has been obliterated when there is conflict and, and evil uh, uh, kind of empires uh, driving them out. So we need to be, pray that we could live in peace and quietness, to be able to worship and serve without in hindrance. And I say that for Canada too. I am calling upon our churches to continue to pray for peace and quietness in Canada that we may be able to continue to serve and to worship God in full liberty and full freedom. Let us pray that way. And secondly, pray for godliness and holiness. On occasion, people will say, we need to pray that we get more Christian leaders. Well, Paul doesn't actually say that, does he? Yeah, you kind of think that maybe that's the, the solution. But Paul doesn't say this. He says, pray for peace and quietness that we might live in godliness and holiness. Does the church want to make a grand political statement? I will tell you that we can, but it's not the way we think it's going to work. It's not nece- I'm, I'm not opposed to Christian leaders, by the way. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But, but, but it's not necessarily by getting all Christian leaders in place. In fact, history kind of tells us that when we're in charge, we don't always do a good job. Okay? So, but what we can do, if we want to make a significant political statement to our society, is that we would live godly and holy lives in obedience to Christ's teachings. That we would be a repentant people who turns away from our sins, because we too are, are always in need of repentance. The natural, everyday, true experience of the Christian life is a life of repentance. We need to turn from our sins, we need to turn and submit ourselves to God, and we need to ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to live godly and holy lives. That will make a greater political impact and statement than any Christian leader could ever do, But God bless the Christian leaders, because they have a tough job. But we all can be involved by making that statement, by living godly and holy lives. And lest we forget this last thing. There are many other things to pray for, but the last thing that Paul uh, implies here is in verse 3 and 4. This is good and pleases God that we pray this way. Who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth? My prayers have truly been too small. It's only in the last few years that my heart has started to open to the globe. And I've witnessed, and I want to stand here today and just say to you, very tenderly, what a beautiful, beautiful witness as I look out over this congregation today. What a beautiful witness of the many tribes tongues, and nations represented in this congregation. This is what the church needs to be into the future. Because God is concerned about all. 
every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And so our prayers need to be not only to the the broader ethnicity and diaspora people that were in some ways were almost all diaspora peoples, right? Our indigenous peoples were here first. And but we're all diaspora peoples, we're all settlers in some sense. Uh, but also to the nations of the world. The the many nations who who um, need Jesus. And so that is needs to be our prayer. Your kingdom come. And it's with that that I think that we can together respond to the word of the Lord here to pray. And we can do that together. And I'm going to ask you all to stand with me. And we're going to pray. Lift our voices together. Not just my voice, but your voice. And we're going to pray the prayer that God, uh, that Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer. And so we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.